Let's just jump in. We are finishing our series called Highways, uh, Catching God's Vision. So we've been talking about how do we go from uh, somebody who hears rules that God says, and we don't really like the rules, but eh, if I have to, uh, to somebody who really catches on, why would God make the rule in the first place? What's the reason for it? it, it there's got to be a good reason, because why does God make rules? Yeah, because he loves us and he's trying to help. It's not because he doesn't like us and he's trying to goof up our lives. It's because he loves us and he has a bigger perspective than we do. He understands things that we don't. So he gives us rules to help us out because we don't always get it. And so God's ways are higher than our ways. That's where the highways comes from. Uh, Isaiah 55, God's ways are higher than our ways. And they're high. God's ways are higher than our ways in two primary respects. First, God's ways are better than our ways. Amen? God's ways are better than our ways. But also, sometimes God's ways are difficult to understand. So they're like over our head. God's ways are higher than our ways. And when God's ways are hard for us to understand, but we walk in obedience to God's ways anyway, we call that faith. So faith is when we don't understand why God would give a particular command, but we follow it anyway. That's faith. Abraham was a man of faith. He did what God asked him to do, even though he did not understand. However, we do not want to just walk in the darkness. We're called to walk in the light. So we want to understand the ways of God. And uh, to the extent that we can, of course, our understanding is limited, but we can get a measure of understanding of the ways of God. And some of God's ways are pretty straightforward. Some are more difficult. And so we've talked about a whole bunch of different things. Last week, we talked about forgiveness. Very, very important to get on board with forgiveness. I remember one time years and years ago, I was dealing with an unforgiveness situation. Some people had done some horrible stuff. And I had spent a year trying to forgive in this particular situation, but I could tell that I hadn't. You know, have you ever tried to forgive and been unsuccessful? Yeah, I think we just need to be realistic about that because the reality is there's hard things that happen and it's difficult to get that out of your heart when bad things happen. And I remember sitting at a stoplight in Bemidji by the waterfront near Paul and Babe and uh, uh, just had a, a word from God that uh, unforgiveness is opposition to the cross. Jesus died on the cross to take sins away. And if I want sins to stick to people, if I want to focus on the sins of people, I'm opposing what Jesus did on the cross. And so I fought and clawed to forgive and understood I needed to. But last week we talked about forgiveness isn't where we start. It's kind of, it's, it's where we finish. It's, it's a high level of spiritual development to be able to forgive in difficult circumstances. It takes a lot of growth and learning and the power of God to get to the place where we can forgive. But we need to get there because without it, God's plan doesn't work. This week, we're going to talk about the command, do not covet. So let's pray. We'll get into new material this morning. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you don't leave us here to just wander around, do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. Lord, uh, each one of us is in different places. We're going through different things and we need a different touch from you. 
And so, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would touch each one of us with just what we need. You'd give us something good that we can hang on to so that we can believe in you better, so that we can serve you more effectively, so that we can walk by faith more powerfully. Lord, just give us what we need this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do not covet. Deuteronomy 5.21. This is one of the Ten Commandments. I think it's probably one of the most difficult of the commandments because it's not an action commandment. It's an attitude commandment. So, you know, you can do what you're supposed to do, but do it grudgingly. You can do it not wanting to do it. This is have the right attitude type of commandment. So Deuteronomy 5.21, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. What does covet mean? Well, the next sentence explains it. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So do not covet means do not set your desire on. So to covet is to set your desire on something. Now, there are things that are perfectly fine to set your desire on. Amen? There's nothing wrong with coveting. It's when you covet the wrong things. So if you set your desire on revival in the community, that's great. If you set your desire on having a great home life, that's fantastic. If you set your desire on uh, meeting various goals in your life, hallelujah, that's good. However, if you set your desire on your neighbor's wife, that's a problem. You know, that's going to create issues. And uh, also with these other things. So what are some of the straightforward problems that we might run into if we set our desire on the wrong thing? Well, uh, of course, if you set your desire on your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's husband or somebody outside of your marriage, you're going to potentially have some marriage problems, right? You're going to have issues with that. So there can be home life problems if you don't manage your uh, attitude, manage your desires appropriately. You can have problems at home. How about if you set your desire on your neighbor's house or land or ox or donkey? So ox or donkey would be a car, truck, tractor, that sort of thing. So we don't have oxes and donkeys anymore. We have cars and trucks. And, uh, and you could say tractor as well in this particular case. Lawnmower, whatever. They got one of those zero-turn mowers. You look and you're like, oh, man, you know, I got my my push mower, you know, or whatever. Uh, That's ox donkey. If we apply it to modern context, what are some of the straightforward problems you might have if you covet your neighbor's house? Well, you might think, well, you got to keep up with the Joneses. And so you need a better house than the Joneses. And so then you, uh, you incur all kinds of debt that you shouldn't be incurring because you're trying to keep up with your neighbors and beat them at the possession game. And so then you end up in a bad financial situation because you bought uh, houses and lands that you shouldn't have bought and you bought the fancy car that you shouldn't have bought because you have to keep up with the Joneses and now you run into financial problems. Is manservant or maidservant you know, that's more like the, uh, the horsepower you've got. A simple one would be if you own a business, the, uh, the employees that another business has or, you know, whatever the case may be. Say you're a coach and another team has the best players, you know, and you're like, oh, I wish we had those players, uh, those sorts of things. 
you know, you, you want to be doing the best with what you've got. And then here it just goes to, and anything else that belongs to your neighbor. One of the other straightforward problems that comes with coveting, I noticed probably 25 years ago when I decided I would play the, the lottery. I don't know, it was like a record $53 million or something. And, and doing the expected value calculation, I determined that it would be prudent to buy a lottery ticket. So a fella has to do the math first. Anyway, I remember, you know, I probably shouldn't out people. Who, who all's bought a lottery ticket at some point? You know, like, oh, there we go. All right, all right. Uh, that's okay. Um, I don't do that anymore, and here's why. Because what do you do when you buy a lottery ticket? The fun thing is to think about what you'd do if you had $50 million, right? Like you daydream about what you would do if you won. And then, of course, you don't win because you're more likely to get hit by lightning 10 times than you are to win the lottery. But uh, so you don't win. And then what happens? You're kind of disappointed, right? Like, oh, all these great things could have happened, but now I'm just going to do this again. You know, when you're disappointed. So one of the things that happens with coveting, when you're looking at what other people have, when you're setting your desires on things that are inappropriate, that don't make sense, is that you begin to get dissatisfied with your life. You begin to get dissatisfied with the things that you have. You begin to get dissatisfied with your marriage and your family. And that's a disaster. We don't want to live a life where we're dissatisfied with what we have. We want to live a life where we're filled with joy, filled with thankfulness, filled with expectations of good things. And so this coveting thing can cause serious, serious problems. So, I'm going to do this in a little weird order. Can you reorder your thoughts and attitudes? Is it possible for a person to choose to desire different things? than what they really desire. I remember when I was a kid, my brother told me he did not like peanut butter and he did not like chocolate. And I told him that he was wrong (laughs) because peanut butter and chocolate are the two greatest things on the planet. How can you not like peanut butter and chocolate? You're wrong. You know, you need to change because that's goofy. How can you not like that? And he said, well, I just don't. And then, well, I guess you don't then. Can we change what we want? Can we change what we desire? Can we adjust that? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And let's look at what we've got here. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So the pattern of this world, I would submit to you, is a covetous pattern. We live in a covetous world. I should, somebody who's got Google on your phone. Look up how much money is spent on advertising annually in the United States. How much money is spent on advertising? What is the goal of advertising? To get you to want something you probably don't need. That's the goal. Is to get you to buy something that you normally wouldn't buy. So the pattern of this world in our culture is very much a want things pattern. It's the motivation behind everything. Why do I go to work? Because I need money so that I can buy the thing that I want so that I can impress people that I don't like. You know, that's, that's the whole goal. And so 
People want to buy stuff. And so the pattern of this world is a covetous pattern. It's a having desires after things that aren't the most important things that maybe can even be destructive. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Is it God's will for you to have a vehicle that you can't afford? No. If you could afford it, he'd be fine with it. You know, if you've got a billion dollars and you want to drive a million dollar car, well, great. Have at it. There's nothing wrong with driving a million dollar car. They make, I'm sure somebody will sell you a car for a million dollars if you want to spend that much. But Chris has got one for you. It's a classic. It's a classic, you know, Honda Accord. Uh, but it's, it's a very rare one. This one's a million dollars. Um, but, uh, you know, God's not against us having wonderful things. But it's when we, uh, when we end up being destructive and dissatisfied, putting ourselves in debt, causing problems at home that we start running into trouble. And here it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the way this is phrased, it's not saying just wait for God to transform your mind. It has a, a proactive ring to it. You go ahead and not be conformed. You go ahead and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You do it. You read the scriptures. You pray. You reject the thoughts that are not thoughts of God. You be part of that. Don't just wait for God to do it and then blame him if you have covetous thoughts. Well, if he didn't want me to have covetous thoughts, I guess he'd take them out of my head. So I'm going to keep going. That's just baloney. We have a responsibility to go forward and make the changes. God will help us, of course. But we need to help the process and engage the process. So yes, you can reorder your attitudes and your thoughts. It's part of God's plan. Now, let's read the love of money um, section of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Very important stuff. 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. This is... I should, this should be a life verse for me. This is huge. Godliness is important. But I think a lot of people think that with godliness comes lack. With godliness comes, you don't get to do that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Anybody content with food and clothing? No retirement, no health insurance, (laughs) no car, food and clothing. Be hard to be content with that. Verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. So there are foolish and harmful desires. There are desires that we have that aren't going to help us. There are desires that we have that can create problems, foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Have you ever wanted something you shouldn't have wanted, and then you went after it and it caused problems in your life? 
We don't want that to happen. Now, uh, I should make the, uh, the talk about, again, is God mad at people for having successful businesses and making millions and millions of dollars? Not at all. God needs people with millions and millions of dollars. Amen? God needs people on Super Bowl teams to talk about who he is. God needs winners. God needs the top of society on his side. He also needs everybody, the whole group, not just the winners, but everyone. So God needs the, the billionaires and God needs the, the homeless man on the street. God needs the whole group to reach the whole world. And so there's nothing wrong with being a billionaire. The problem is when you're covetous, when you steal from people to, to get what you want, when you hurt other people to get yourself ahead, that's when you've got issues. That's when you've got problems. We can be successful, and it's not a bad thing. But we don't want to run into these foolish and harmful desires. Then verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Some people have gone after less important things and lost more important things. The love of money, this dangerous thing, I, the way I define it is when you're willing to give up things more important than money for money. When you're willing to give up your integrity. When you're willing to give up family relationships. When you're willing to give up caring about other people and helping other people because you're hoarding things for yourselves. That's when we run into problems with this love of money. When you're willing to give up things more important than money for money. So we want to reorder our thoughts. We want to grab hold of the right types of desires. In order to understand what we're going for, what are some opposites of coveting bad things? What are what are good desires or what's good attitudes that would be the opposite of these foolish and harmful desires, coveting the wrong things? What would the opposites be? I've got a few options here. Um, Being content with what you have. Amen. Coveting is not being content with what you have and wanting what somebody else has. Philippians 4, 12 and 13. This is Paul again. He's the one who says, You know, if you got clothes on your back and food, be content with that. Here he takes it a step farther. Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Here Paul says, I can be content hungry. He's writing this from jail. I can be content in jail. I've learned the secret of being content, not based on my circumstances, but based on something else. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And that contentment is not based on external circumstances. I'd rather have something to eat than be hungry. I would rather have my life going well than have it fall apart. But there is a contentment in Christ that transcends the things of this world. 
And that secret is a secret that Paul found, and that secret is a secret that we can grab hold of, and we can have contentment whatever our circumstances. What a glorious place that would be. What if the believers in Jesus were content in any and every circumstance? They'd be an easy group to work with. Amen? They would be an easy group to invite people into. It would be an easy group to build on, and we would see amazing things happen. But too many believers are discontent. They, they covet all these wrong things. They even compare churches to other churches and complain about all these different things, causes all kinds of issues. Another opposite of coveting the wrong things is just being thankful. Being thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 being thankful. So give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen. You want to know what God's will for you in Christ Jesus is? That you would be thankful no matter what's going on. It's very important to notice the difference between being thankful for all circumstances and being thankful in all circumstances. Okay? I just want to make sure every time I talk about this, I'm sure to make this clear. Because Satan can attack you. Right? Evil people can do evil things to you. Should you give thanks for that? No, you should not give thanks you know, that Satan has attacked you. Did Jesus give thanks for the money changers in the temple? No, he flipped the tables over. He was unhappy with the injustice and he did something to change it. He didn't give thanks for it. However, do you think he lost his thankfulness in that moment when he saw the injustice? No, he's still thankful. He's still a man of thanks. We can be people who give thanks in difficult circumstances, but you don't have to give thanks for those circumstances. See what I'm saying? Very important. Because you don't want to be thanking the devil for trying to ruin your life. You want to resist that. You want to fight that. You want to combat that and access the power of God to get victory over that. You don't want to give thanks for it. Very dangerous. So be thankful in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. Then being generous, there's lots of opposites of covetous. So, let's read 1 Corinthians 7.21. I can't not read it. This is amazing. So here Paul is talking to the Corinthians about whoever you were when you got saved, just be that. If you were Jewish, stay Jewish. You don't have to not be Jewish anymore. It's fine. You're Gentile, stay a Gentile. Don't worry about it. Just, just obey Christ. Be, be a follower. But you don't have to change who you are. And even to this extent, were you a slave when you were called? And this word slave, I looked it up in the Greek. What it means is to be someone who's bound. Someone who's tied up. This is slave, not servant necessarily. It's, it's one who is bound, one who is chained. It's a slave. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Don't let it trouble you. <laughs> what? Could you possibly be? That's like the deepest injustice you can have, and you, you can't escape it. Were you a slave? Ah, don't let it bother you. It's okay. Just be a slave. Be happy. What? 
Now, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Don't subject yourself to that unnecessarily. If you can get free, great. But be content in it, even if you're a slave. That's amazing. It's amazing. External circumstances are not what drives uh, godly contentment, even to this extent. Now, again, don't get to where you want bad things to happen because you think that's more godly. That was a mistake that was made a couple generations ago. The more miserable you are, the more godly you are. That's, a, that's absolutely baloney too. Uh, you don't want to be like that. Again, we want to progress. We want to we have victory. We want to have wildly successful businesses and win the Super Bowl and all that stuff. We want to be there. Um, but our contentment's not based on that. Our contentment is based on something much, much deeper than what this world has to offer. Let's talk about a few hidden dangers of coveting. You know, there's the obvious dangers of coveting. You become dissatisfied with your life. You uh, are thinking about other people, so your marriage is strained because you're comparing your spouse to, uh, you know, somebody else. You, you might steal something because you want something that somebody else has, and then you run into problems because of that. Uh, there's these obvious problems that come from coveting. What are some of the maybe more hidden ones? And uh, I think I've got a few of them. Let's just talk about these for a little bit. Hidden dangers of uh, harmful and deceitful desires of setting your heart on the wrong things. Hidden dangers. First hidden danger, I believe, coveting causes us to believe lies. Causes us to believe things that are lies. Have you heard the, the old adage, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence? But of course it isn't. The reason the adage is there is you're in this situation, but just not having access to that other thing makes you think it's better. But it isn't. You know, you, you covet your neighbor's spouse. Well, they're a person too. What you're coveting is an imaginary picture of who that person is. My wife, is she in here? She, I'm safe, hallelujah. She fell in love with Jake from another world. That's a soap opera from back in the day. So, another world, you know, anyway. Jake from another world. She's like, Jake from another world. I want a guy like that. And so then, unwittingly, I walk into the picture. And she's like, it's Jake from another world. And, and, but sadly, she was to discover it wasn't Jake from another world. It was this guy named Mike who was clearly not like that. And so she was believing that there was that guy, that soap opera guy out there who cared about all the things that women care about. But that guy isn't out there. It's an illusion. And you think, oh, they had it so easy. Their situation is so great. Well, it isn't. It causes us to believe our situation is is different than what it is. It causes us to believe lies because that grass is always greener thing is not actually true. And so as we covet, we begin to believe things that aren't true. And it's very, very dangerous. 
Um, some people do have better stuff than you have. But what did they have to fight through to get there? Some people's marriages are better than your marriage. But what have they gone through in their marriage? What don't you see? There are so many things going on. The grass is greener uh, is just an illusion. So when we covet, it causes us to believe lies. And that's very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. I'm going to read just a couple of things I wrote down. When you embrace that false sense of reality, you will always feel like you are getting the short end of the stick, even when you aren't. When you covet, when you desire things, you start to desire an illusion, and then you always think you're getting the short end of the stick, even when you're not. And then when you try to get your life to be successful, you try to do the things that you're coveting. You try to do things that are an illusion. The world doesn't work that way. And so you think you're going to start a business and become a billionaire and that sort of thing. And it doesn't work because it's a pipe dream because you've been believing lies about how it's working for other people. Very dangerous to covet because it causes us to believe things that aren't true, to believe lies. Second, hidden Danger of coveting. Coveting can cause you to feel justified in doing wrong. Stealing or violence against people is just settling the score. Well, they deserved it anyway. Oh, a little Miss Popular. She's got everything perfect in her life. I can badmouth her. It doesn't matter. She's overprivileged anyway. And you don't feel like you're doing something wrong because you're coveting something and you feel justified in doing the wrong thing. It can create an unrepentant heart to where you're willing to do wrong and not feel bad about it. That's very, very dangerous. You covet your neighbor's spouse so you don't treat yours right because you're mad at them for not measuring up to your illusion. You feel justified in doing wrong. Very dangerous. Third, hidden danger of coveting is it stunts your growth. If we're looking at what they've got, what they're doing, how they're so privileged, how everything works for them, and we don't look at ourselves and figure out how we can get better, we are not going to grow. You can want what they have, but you're not going to get it because you're not looking at yourself. It stunts your growth. Very, very dangerous. Um, When we see the world as outside causes that we can't control creating our problems, then we don't fight for and look for creative solutions to get out of our problems. We just blame them and stay there. Stunted growth then creates a terrible cycle because if your growth is stunted, you're going to continue to be a have-not because you're not going to learn and grow and develop and then other people are going to have more than you because you haven't learned and grown and fought into that next level. And so then the other people that you've been walking through are going to start getting things and then you're going to be mad and talk about how privileged they are and not grow anymore. Bad news. So our three hidden dangers of covetousness causes you to believe lies, 
can cause you to feel justified in doing wrong, and it stunts your growth. These are all things we want to avoid. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to pray here in just a minute. We're going to search our hearts now. We need to see what foolish and harmful desires we have because we want to be free from these covetous desires. Now, let's read Psalm 37.4 as our closing scripture. It's a tremendous verse, and I believe just like God's ways are higher than our ways, that this has two primary meanings. Psalm 37.4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This verse is not meant to say that all those things that you're coveting, if you just get God on your side, he'll give you those things. That's not what this verse means. I believe it's twofold. First thing is God will reorder the desires in your heart. Your desires will begin to change. Instead of covetous desires, instead of foolish and harmful desires, the things that you want will start to be God things. Your your desires, the things that you long for, that you set your heart on will begin to change and begin to line up with God's plan. And then he will begin to bring those things into your life. Instead of wanting to win the lottery, you'll want to have a better marriage. Instead of wanting to be a rock star, you'll want to be able to serve in the kingdom of God effectively. Instead of wanting to hoard wealth for yourself, you want to be able to give, and God will give you the means to give to others. The desires will change, and then he will give us the means to see those things come to pass. So let's seek the Lord. Ask him to reveal what's in our heart as far as foolish and harmful desires, things that we are coveting that are wrong. Let's ask him to change the desires of our heart so that we can walk into those good things. And then we'll pray about that, and then I'll invite people up for personal prayer. Prayer teams are here. They're ready to pray. Let's believe God for good things. God does mighty things in this personal prayer time. Let's pray together first. Heavenly Father, Your word says, do not covet the wrong things. Do not set your heart and your desires on things that we shouldn't set our heart and desire on. And so, Lord, uh, we want our minds to be renewed. We want to understand things the right way. And so we ask you, Lord, to reveal the things we desire which are wrong, which are off, which cause destruction. Lord, show us each one, something we're desiring, something we're coveting that we need to set aside. And Lord, let's trust you that you will bring something good, something wonderful in that area, knowing that you are good and you love us and you want what's best for us. Lord, you want us to have contentment. And Lord, you want us to walk in victory, whatever that means for our situation. So Lord, reveal in our hearts where we need to reorder our desires. And Father, I pray that you would give us a heart for your things, that you would give us a desire for your purposes, your will, your kingdom, and that you would bring us into more and more and more of your things. 
So Lord, give us the desires of our heart and give us the desires of our heart. So Lord, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Lord, I pray your peace would be over us. Lord, I pray your joy would be our strength. And Lord, that your love would overflow in us that we may share it with others. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.